Don Quixote was a hero of my father's, and my father would like you. You're a very quixotic character. Thank you. However, my father would also say you're a fool. That's entirely possible, but in my own defense, so is Don Quixote. In three, two, one. Good evening, everybody from New York City. I'm Dan Rydell, alongside Casey McCall. Those stories plus... Hi, I'm Adam Amin. I'm Steve Cimino. And welcome to Those Stories Plus, where we discuss sports night, and we are on to episode six. Episode six, the head coach dinner in the morning mail. This is an interesting start to this one, my friend, because we get a previously on sports night for the first time. It is, I don't, it doesn't happen often, but definitely I think we ended last week's episode talking about how this isn't a to-be-continued proper, but it kind of is. It kind and of this is, makes yeah. it, yeah, it almost is a complete... To be continued. In in other Aaron Sorkin shows, it's typical to have the previously on the West Wing or previously on the newsroom or whatever. It may be previously on Studio 60. You, you pretty much get that in all the other Aaron Sorkin shows. But first time we've actually gotten it on, uh, on this one. And it recaps what happened in the episode Mary Pat Shelby. Natalie has gone to the police and told them uh, that Christian Patrick had uh, harassed her. And there was a warrant out for his arrest. So... She was aware that the quote-unquote sky was going to be falling down on her and uh, the continuation of this episode, of that episode, into this one focuses on Natalie kind of trying to trying to battle through some frazzled moments. This one, we mentioned last week how it was very, very intense, very serious. This one's got a lot more of the humor. Still yep. wrapping up the serious storyline, but more laugh track sneaking its way the in. The laugh track came back! It's still... It's still a lot more subtle than it had been, but oh, it's back. It's, yeah, it's more than a few times it shows up. Yeah, I was a little jarred by it because in the previous episode, I think I think you and I heard it just once, maybe a little one, bit, very, very, very quietly, and it was kind of a throwaway. Now it's it's back in and and like you said, it's not in full force, but it's definitely back in in moments where we kind of gotten used to it. It's enough for both of us as we were just kind of watching it before pressing record, being uh, <laughs> kind of both <laughs> oh, shaking our heads oh, as back. we hear it. It's back. So the head coach dinner in the morning mail originally aired on October 27th, 1998. It was written by Matt Tarsis and Aaron Sorkin. Two episodes in a row now yep. where Sorkin was getting some some writing help from another. Uh, and again, directed by Tommy Shalami. I wonder if it goes back to Aaron Sorkin always famously talking about and implementing into some of his shows, trying to write uh, an entire season of television by himself and getting like four episodes in and thinking... Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. It's a whole lot. Yeah, burning himself out pretty good. Uh, our synopsis for this one. Natalie begins receiving hate mail as a result of the charges she's pressing against football star Christian Patrick. Jeremy can't sleep because he's so worried about her. And Dana continues to date Gordon, much to Casey's dismay. Solid synopsis, again, from the wonderful Sports Night 10th Anniversary booklet. So this episode begins in the middle of a, of a broadcast coming back from a commercial break. The guys immediately start just layering on parkas and winter hats and scarves. They are freezing. I didn't, and, and this is this is a good bit of subtle acting, I guess, because I they sounded stiff at the beginning. And again, I didn't remember exactly how this episode started. And they just sound kind of like not themselves. They don't sound loose, kind of slow. Dan's, Dan's got deli- the weird, uh, like weird, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck, chuck, chuck if joke? A wood chuck could chuck. And it's in a slow kind of paced delivery. And I'm like... Are they talking differently, or is my head just messed up? And then, as soon as they go to commercial break on that show, on on the show, every, they're bringing in parkas and scarves. I'm like, oh right, that's actually a subtle thing, but I actually really appreciated that. So thank you 
Josh Charles and Peter Krause for that. They are both very, very cold. What if you were wet? Would you be colder? I think. And then we get this very wordy, but funny, but oh my god, wordy joke. I'd be very cold, but as cold as I'd be under that circumstance, I still don't think there'd be any discernible difference between how cold I'd be then and how cold I am now. That's how cold I am now. So, you're cold. I'm pretty cold. And I love that he ends it with, and if possible, I'd like to look just a little bit more like Elmer Fudd. <laughs> I love Dan's wearing a, like floppy a ear hat. full-on floppy ear woolen hat, and it's it's quite a little ensemble that he's rocking right there. We look into the control room where Dana is being very, very calm with Natalie, who's having trouble finding the SOT on Michigan State. What SOT, is an SOT? SOT is sound on tape. So anytime I'm doing a report or, or anchoring a highlight or something, and, and at the end of the highlight I go, after the game, Eli Manning spoke to the media about whatever. And then it goes to the sound on tape of Eli Manning talking okay. to the media after the game. So SOT is sound on tape, much like we do on this podcast. When, when we, we cut, when we cut we, that's, that's, that's kind of an SOT. That makes a lot of sense. I, that was a, a pure, like, I have no idea what that means. No, no, I'm, pure, pure technical television question, and SOT, a very common phrase for us. So Natalie wigging out. She is very distracted. Jeremy's trying to help her. He already, it's not mentioned, but he looks different. He looks a little disheveled. He's kind of unshaven. His hair is a little fluffy. He looks like he hasn't slept very much. I wrote, already, Jeremy looks like crap. Goatee not good on him. <laughs> I know there was a, a lot of discussion about goatees in the previous episode with, uh, with Dan telling, uh, telling everybody that he was going to grow a goatee. And I've had my own bad instances of growing goatees for television. It doesn't work out well. Jeremy does not look very good <laughs> as uh, an unshaven, unkempt man. He even, he even mentions that he can't remember the last time he slept. Or if he slept yeah. last night. So he's definitely been distracted as well. And uh, we can already kind of tell, hint, hint, it's about being worried about Natalie. I love the little joke about, we can't find the SOT. There has to be a procedure. This is professional television. And Dana's response is, Well, first, everyone, stand up and see if you're sitting on it. And I like that she kind of laughs at her own joke and everybody else is actually, when she, they actually stand <laughs> they actually up, like, look. in her head, she's like, I got you guys. I got you to do it. That's our first little, oh, here's some laugh track. I said, at least it's not overwhelming, which is great. I mean, I'll take it. We're trying to inject a little more of the humor, I think, after last week's uh, just flood of, of emotions and sadness yeah. and anger. So we jump in now to Dan having complaints, and we get our first mention here of Casey being conversationally anal retentive. So I have a complaint. Two complaints, actually. You're cold. Three complaints. What are the first two? I haven't put these in any order. Okay. I haven't numbered them. I'm not conversationally anal retentive the way you are. I'm conversationally anal retentive? Yes, indeed. Casey refers to himself as a pundit here, which is, I guess, right. I, I, I've always only referred, you always hear the talking heads on the news channels referred to as a professional pundit, and it was confusing to me. Is he, or is he a, a writer, or a broadcaster, or a journalist? What would you so here's the, So here's the thing. So in my head, when I hear the term pundit, and I think you do too, and I think most people do, they think of a guy on TV, like a talking head or a writer. So I literally just Googled up pundit, meaning, and it said... Expert in a particular field who goes out and discusses it. Yeah, so I guess so it is you can be a lot of different. You can be. You can have a lot of different occupations, but actually be a pundit. So Casey's not wrong in this regard. And later on, they have a little callback to it in their office, Dan and Casey. And Dan goes, "He's flipping through a dictionary." <laughs> yeah, I don't think. And, and Dan goes, "I don't think you know what that means." Yeah, I'm looking it up. I don't <laughs> think it means what you think that it means. Which is which is a nice almost Princess Bridey joke. But yeah, it's great. Uh, Dan also tells Casey. Hey, take it easy on Rostenkowski. You've really been going hard on Rostenkowski. We don't know exactly what happened, but we'll find out later on some details on that. 
and they come to the decision after they can't find the SOT, they're just going to skip over the segment. Natalie very flustered and apologizing to everybody. After a commercial break, Natalie is still very uneasy. She's walking into the guy's office with a big old pile of tapes, just kind of tossing them on their desks. Yep. Uh, she mentions to them that, I'm going to get the AC fixed, don't worry, and they have to correct her. It's, it's, the, it's heat the heat that's, that's the, broken. That's the issue. Like, just... All, like every possible thing that could be going this is such a Murphy's Law moment for, for Natalie it's like anything that can go wrong is going wrong it's awful to deal with everything that's going on right now and you, as much as she's trying to fight it everybody's being super supportive like Natalie it's okay it's not a big deal they're kind of like laughing under their breath a little bit like yeah, it's, it's all good you know you're a friend so I appreciate the support here but at some point it just feels like somebody needs to like kind of just yell at Natalie and be like, hey, get your get your act together, man. You're a professional. What's going on right now? She's getting upset with them. Even when Dan seems to genuinely um, want to just talk. He's like, you want to just shoot the breeze? She's, she's like, well, no, I have to work, Dan. You don't think I should work? Uh, she says, I have to do my job. Or do you think it's safer for everybody if I just don't do anything? She's starting to get very defensive because, yeah, she feels like she's being kind of pandered to. She's not being treated yeah. like a professional. And I don't blame her for that. I think granted she went through some pretty traumatic stuff and she's got now all this drama going on presently which we'll talk about in a few minutes here but she just wants to kind of be treated normal yeah and everyone is kind of not even though in this case it feels like dan sort of was she's just been getting so much of this babying it seems like that she's very almost hostile to dan i'm i'm thinking about this just now just based off natalie kind of wanting to get back to normal and for nor for her normal is like just working i, I think sorkin does a good job of writing these characters but everybody's a workaholic. Like, Sorkin's really good at writing workaholics, but everybody on this show is, like, obsessed with their job and nothing more. And remember, we haven't really expanded anywhere outside of The Office. Like, we haven't been outside of The no, Office at all. We have literally all. never left The Office. Never left right. The Office. Like, Natalie getting to go to the Meadowlands for the pre-interview might be the only time that these people have left The Office. <laughs> like we that like it's been explicitly told to us that we have left or and like the black tie gala a few episodes yes. ago and Dana going to Vermont. I don't think anybody else has left the place. Everyone seems to only exist in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like as soon as they leave the the premises, like they disappear into the ether and then they somehow remanufacture themselves to go back to work. Or in some cases, like Casey, they just spend the night there anyway. Yeah, he's exactly. Going through the yeah. Divorce. I love to Dan's mention to as Natalie walks out. He yells, if you see Casey, tell him to lighten up on Rostikowski. But there's Casey right behind him. I love it. He just turns and goes, oh, oh hey. there you are, yeah. <laughs> which is great. Um, we get a little more detail here. Rostikowski, a football coach at Casey's alma mater, apparently made a bad call on a fourth down play that cost them the game. We were kind of mentioning this a minute ago off, Mike. Casey gets really fired up. We were this close to beating Miami. We've never beat Miami. Do we have any idea where Casey went to school? So, so here's the thing. Syracuse is like the number one school for like broadcasters you know just, just broadcasters not necessarily journalists although it is a very good journalism school but it's for broadcasting like new the new house school is like this legendary place bob costas marv albert mike tarico ian eagle dick stockton marty glickman uh, a ton of people that work at espn right now that are play-by-play -play announcers specifically they've all been through the ranks at syracuse it's highly regarded and i was thinking like well i wonder if maybe Casey's a Syracuse guy, and I and while it's not concrete evidence, I think it's decent proof because Miami and Syracuse would both be in the same conference at this point. They'd both be Big East schools. Okay. Syracuse hasn't always been known as a big football school, very successful basketball school, but not a lot of sustained success on the football field. Miami's always been considered one of the, the great programs of all time. Okay. 
Miami leads the all-time series against Syracuse 15-7. to And only recently has Syracuse kind of gotten some wins in that set. So I could see... Let's call it Syracuse. I could, I could see Casey being a Syracuse guy. Now I'll say this. I don't always... You know, we we're all we're all a little jealous and maybe envious of the Syracuse guys because they all seem to be, you know, it's like a, it's like their own little club, like their own little clique, you know. And we're like the Midwest kids who went to small schools and, yeah. le- and learned how to be broadcasters. So I'm not angry at anybody, but we 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 harbor a little bit of bitterness towards the Syracuse hey, people. Understandable. So if he went to Syracuse, that means, at least according to some of the history that we've been told, that means Dana went to Syracuse yeah. as well. At least which some which of the time. again would totally make sense. There you go. Being a great broadcast school. Dan, however. Did not go to Syracuse. We no. know that. He's an Ivy League. Dan went to yeah. Dartmouth. Yes. Yeah, he's, he, he makes sure to let you know. I'm surprised Aaron Sorkin didn't write in the credentials. I'm a graduate of the Newhouse it's School true. of Syracuse. Why would you not do that? He does that with everybody else. It's true. Like, th- th- this much mystery being left up about where somebody went <laughs> why is, is not common. Why is this the time for you to leave out that details? Anyway. So it is very uncommon. I, I think even if you go back to A Few Good Men, Tom Cruise has a line where he says, why are you always why giving you always, me your yeah, resume? It to, I think he says it to Demi Moore's character. He's so. like, why are you always giving me your credentials? Yeah. So that's a little maybe Sorkin like nodding his own hat to himself. <laughs> like, yeah, I do like to give these people. There, there is a little bit of meta in some of these. Uh, even even in the way like the rapid fire sometimes goes and like they'll be self-referential about referencing things so often. Right. There's a little bit of meta to his writing. Maybe he knew... It was maybe he was destined for Sorkinisms being like a thing even before they were a thing. Right. That line, if according to legend, he must have written on a napkin as he wrote the play of Few Good Men. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, as yeah, a yeah. napkin while he was selling tickets. So that might have been the very beginning where he put that napkin in his pocket. And was like, I'm coming back to this. Yeah, <laughs> this, this, this is going to be a thing. I'm going to use and use and use again. <laughs> Our next scene comes up. Not a lot of Isaac in this episode. He's really only right here, briefly having a. a discussion with Dana about the budget they just need to cut 17 million dollars we don't quite know why but obviously more signs of the show struggling sure it's been happening it's going to keep happening enter Jeremy he kind of interrupts them uh I found it he says what has he found a death threat to Natalie yes anytime you've got a thousand people sending letters and making phone calls it's a pretty good bet that at least one of them is going to be out of his mind Jeremy is this why you haven't been sleeping at night I don't need much sleep I don't want you obsessing about this it's not an obsession you look like you haven't slept in a week I'm fine so he's very flustered. He's obviously sleep deprived and kind of freaking out here. Uh, we're finding out that network security and the FBI are looking for these things. Uh, he's been able to guess Natalie's email password. He says there's only 14,200 and change six letter words and he got it on the 38th try. I looked this up. Yeah, I didn't just accurate? Google it. This was actually on IMDb. If you take six letter words and you uh, uh, factor in capitalization and how many different combinations you could have uh-huh. that's 20 million <laughs> six letter oh, word combinations because obviously the cases can be different if you go through it all but 38 tries and he nailed wow it. that's actually pretty impressive i mean so natalie's password strength yes, would be ranked very uh, weak. would be ranked very weak it going might be into this. well i was gonna <laughs> say it might be password but that would be an eight letter <laughs> my, my, my guess is that she, that the requirement was only six letters and it didn't matter like you didn't need Multiple cases, right. and you didn't need any numbers or symbols. This is very just early went, on yeah, in, she in just the went, internet password. She, exactly. I think she just went with like her cat's name or there whatever. Yeah. So fairly easy for him to guess right there. And another Sorkinism sneaking in as he's reading that email that uh, was sent to Natalie where he says, Passion, with the less common SH spelling. spelling yeah. That's going to come up where he loves to kind of rip on people on the internet and their misspellings. Studio 60, I can think of specifically where Simon Stiles is reading a blog and says, You reap what you sow. He means S-O-W, but he spelled it like a needle and thread. So Sorkin loves that little misspelling thing as well. And he really hates the internet. He <laughs> does. Not a <laughs> big fan. I, you know, I, don't think, I, I know we've 
obviously talked about Sorkinisms a lot. If you haven't seen the supercut, I feel like we've maybe mentioned there's, I can't remember, but there are two or three there, there's, there's now like three supercuts of Sorkinism. So we'll uh, we'll post a link on our website, thosestoriespod.weebly.com. When we post this episode, we'll also post a link to uh, the Sorkinism supercuts because it's really entertaining and it it, it'll, it'll only help you if you're listening to this podcast. It'll only help you uh, enjoy it anytime we reference the Sorkinism that much more. It's almost it's almost like you can make a drinking game of it when you know all of exactly. the stuff well enough <laughs> yeah. and you're just waiting for them to come. You know, if we were going to do a sports night drinking game, which maybe, you know, maybe down the road we'll we'll put sure. together a sports night drinking game, but uh, obviously this would Sorkinisms would be their own drinking game. That would be point. excellent. Yeah, a little thing that I won't, I don't want to say bothered me, but a little funny detail in this scene. Jeremy reads this whole letter that's just spewing vitriol like awful mean stuff. I hope you get killed. I think it ends yeah. with and at the end, Dana and Isaac are both like, yeah, we've seen the, like, well, why did you let him read it if you've yeah. seen it? <laughs> yeah, why did you let him go through you all of this instead again? Of, you know, you, I know they were trying to stop him, but you're going to be like, hey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, already, we, we already read it. We already read it. We're aware. Jeremy, just more and more concerned for Natalie here. He's like, I can't sleep. I need to keep an eye on this. I need to see it before Natalie sees it. I don't want her seeing these things. Um, He's so high strung. I mean, it's 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 tough to watch a little yeah. bit. It's well acted. I give Josh Molina a lot of credit. Absolutely. But it's just it's tough to watch him be this high strung and this uh, this wigged out about it. Dana tries to calm him down. Says, "Go wait in the conference room. I want to talk to you in a minute. Just go wait in the conference room." And Jeremy, a very polite Jeremy line as he walks out. I'm sorry, I raised sorry my voice. I raised my voice. Yep. He and, leaves, and this is a great line here at the end of this scene. A reporter goes into a locker room, has a run-in with an athlete. The reporter becomes the story. That happens, right? In my experience. About twice a year over the last 40 years. Right. So why does this feel different? Because it's happening to us. Right. As that scene ends, uh, we go to Casey standing in the newsroom, very proudly reading letters from viewers who are agreeing with him on the Rostenkowski thing. He's saying how, oh, fine, look at this. I am right. I'm not backing down. Listen to all the support that I've got. He's leading a groundswell, he says. There's a really kind of corny joke about, oh, she's from the Great Lakes region. And, and uh, Elliot asks, if you've never been to the Great Lakes, and Casey says, I've been to four. They're great. It's yeah, a very, exactly. yeah, very, very, very kind of cheap joke, but it's Very dad it's joke. It's a very dad Absolutely. joke. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's fair to say Casey McCall is, like, he's a dad. You picture, like, dad joke guy, kind of like uh, loose-fitting jeans and, like, a L.L. Bean pullover. That's what I picture Casey. He, he, he's kind of that guy. As we've talked about, we, we're pretty sure that Casey's a little older yes. than Dan is. Dan, and Dan's cool and hip, and, Dan, and Casey's... Got a, he's a dad. He is a father. He's yep. a divorced father, which we haven't really heard much about since episode one, We've by the way. We've heard nothing about it We since haven't heard anything one. about his child. We've heard a little bit about Lisa, his ex-wife, but we haven't heard a whole lot about uh, about his son. It's very appropriate that Casey is making dad jokes. I, yeah. think, that's, I think that's funny. <laughs> uh, we get a nice walk and talk here, a perfect, like, exemplary walk and talk. Dana comes and grabs Casey and starts to say, hey, the distractions are getting to Natalie. Just kind of make sure, double check all the things that she's handing you or the things that she's completing uh, a nice little callback to the first episode when Casey acknowledges, oh, yeah, I've been noticing she's been screwing up. And Dana says to him, like, Wait, not like when you were going through the divorce or anything. Exactly. So, so it's nice to keep that consistency. Yeah, so at least there's a reference to it and, and yeah, again, good justification for action. Yes. A nice kind of we're getting back into the the romantic link here. Mm-hmm. That was absent last episode because yep. we, had, we had bigger things to be dealing with. 
Uh, Casey compliments Dana and says, you look nice today. Why do you look nice? He's getting right in there. And we've got Dana really <laughs> just letting him have it here by saying, I am dressed this way because I'm having dinner with Gordon mm. after the show. I'm having dinner with Gordon and I'm dressed this way because it's been my experience that when I do, Gordon becomes quite amorous. And it's my hope that Gordon act on his impulses this evening, quench his desire, and in so doing, Quench mine. I love that whole, that's, that's that, a whole great little, run. that whole little speech she gives is really good. It's a really, really good run. Casey saying very confidently, I am not jealous. I'm not jealous at all. And then ending the scene by saying to Kim, make a note. I've got to ruin I've Dana's got to ruin dinner Dana's with dinner. I like that they've brought back up that whole romantic thing without really beating us over the head. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah. clear that Casey may or may not have these feelings as we talked a few episodes ago, but I like that it's still kind of there. They're both acknowledging the fact that it's there, but they're also acknowledging she's got a boyfriend. He's not like trying to break them up, but he's certainly jealous of the whole thing. We have the scene change now where Dana goes and talks to Jeremy and uh, says that you're very much like Don Quixote. My father loved Don Quixote and he would say you're very quixotic. That's a Sorkinism. Write that in there. As soon as you get a reference to Don Quixote, you have to think of Aaron Sorkin right away, and you think of the newsroom. There's a whole season of the newsroom. The whole, se- the whole right. season, and a lot of callbacks to it, but the whole first season of the newsroom is they're Don gonna, Quixote. They're going to be the greater fool. They're going to be out there, and 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 they're going to be out there and be Don Quixote, which is, which is excellent. I like that as Dana is starting to kind of get into Jeremy. Hey, you like Natalie, right? We all know you like Natalie. Yeah, she likes you too. I like that she says. Um, I'm sure you've been pure and chased from afar. That's from The Man of La Mancha, which is a That's musical right. about Don Quixote. So it's a subtle Absolutely. little reference in there. Uh, I dig that a lot. I remember in the newsroom, too, like, they, they try to... What, what Mackenzie McHale comes in and quotes a song from Man of La Mancha. Mm-hmm. And she goes... That was from Don Quixote, and Will McAvoy goes, "No, that's from Man of La Mancha, <laughs> a musical about Don Quixote." So that's that's that plays perfectly into the Sorkinism we were just talking about. There. I want to say, did you guys in high school ever play anything from Man of La Mancha? Because we sang stuff in like choir from Man of La Mancha. I don't think we did. I can't recall. I'm trying to remember if like all of us got because because I was at uh, you were in you were in band, I was in orchestra and choir. And I feel, and once in a while we'd all get we'd together all, yeah. and do some it's stuff. It's very and possible we did. I feel like, I'm trying to I'm trying to think, but I know for a fact that I sang like I am I Don Quixote Man of La Mancha. I know I for <laughs> a fact that I sang that at some point in high school. We get Dana really trying to just calm Jeremy down. Look, she likes you, but you need to get some sleep. You're not helping anything by killing yourself, basically. Yeah. Like get some rest, take it easy. Do we have a Sorkinism here too? I know we keep saying it. I know the last two episodes have been crawling with him. But Jeremy kind of throws his credentials out. I have a degree, you know, I have a master's degree in applied mathematics. Like, that's kind of a credential yeah. right there. A bit. I a feel like bit. it's another half of Sorkinism. It's, it's nice that all the characters have this backstory, but they just love talking they about love it. They love talking about it. Like, do you talk about yourself, like, with your, like, your, I have a bachelor's degree and a master's from Nat. Like, do you, unless, do you say that ever? Have unless, you ever, have you ever said it in a really haughty tone? Unless I don't think I'm, so. like, talking to somebody about, like, bars at ISU. <laughs> like, oh, you went there too? Did you ever go, you know, did you ever go to Mulligan's? Yeah, I don't Like, think- otherwise, <laughs> I never am, like, just sitting there like, I went to Illinois State yeah. University. I have, Back a, up. I have a degree in television and radio from Valparaiso. It would be very strange. I, do- I drive a Dodge Stratus. <laughs> I am an important man. We go to a commercial break, and we come back with another excellent walk and talk. Uh, Dana, Casey, and Dan are walking. I love how, as the conversation begins with uh, Dana and Casey getting kind of one, a little tete-a-tete, yep. Dan just kind of steps back. Do you guys need me for this one? For this fight. I think he says, do you, do you guys need me for this fight? And I think he back, and they're like, yeah. no. And then he backs up. I, I, and I just thought it was a really well-delivered line. Oh, yeah. They're, they're kind of arguing about 
A, the fact that, and I'm almost doing it right there by saying A, the fact that Casey is conversationally anal retentive, and then how, as we've got him upset that she claims the sound guys don't have the crash and burn sound effect. I mean, it's a classic, it, it, I knew exactly what they were talking about too, and it's a classic sound effect. And this is also, I, 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 I'm sorry for beating, you know, beating the dead horse here, but I wrote down, and this is the last time I've written it down in this episode, Sorkinism. Because <laughs> the crash and burn effect, that's another newsroom thing with Sloan Sabbath. Help me, I need wisdom. I have wisdom. Kenzie, I love you, but a Japanese man's honor is at stake, and sometimes your wisdom leads to, like, <laughs> Does that count for you? I, I mean, I feel like maybe. I'm going to say yes, but I, it, the way Dana does it, I can't tell who did it better, Felicity Huffman or Olivia Munn, <laughs> doing this very bad sound effect. But I love when uh, when Casey then sits down and says, gentlemen, be with me. Crash and burn. Can you do it? Got it. And it's just, yeah, of course they get it. They know what's going on. And of course, that, it's what they do. Yes. It's what Will it's what does. what Will does. <laughs> I love... Um, that he's not giving up on Rostenkowski too. Lots of people have been like, hey, pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. But he's just very, he's sticking to it. We have a scene change and we get nighttime. Uh, seems to be pretty much right before the show. The guys are in their ties. They're ready to get out there. Yep. No one is in basketball shorts or jeans, unfortunately. Um, and Jeremy comes in the office to talk to Dan. Dan knows right away, you need to sleep. Yeah. And he gives his story about, he stayed up all night in college cramming for a midterm and he, sl- he, he slept right through his alarm and passed out in his girlfriend's dorm room. And then how did, how did he ace it then? Because he goes, well, what happened with the exam? And he goes, well, I aced it. But that's a different story. He's and just a smart man. He's a, he's, a, he's a very intelligent person who is a good test taker. He went to Dartmouth. Though. He did, of course. Yeah, he's a, he's a very smart man. I forgot about the credentials in that moment. But, oh, yes. I mean, this is, this is a really, really good scene. It's one of my favorite scenes, I think, so far in the whole series so far because I just love the way Dan, I mean, he's so flabbergasted and frustrated. Like, dude, you got to shut up, go to sleep. And he's about to walk away, but he stops for a second and delivers some really good advice. Make it someplace that you like. Restaurants, they don't impress women as much as we think they do. And food always tastes good on the first date. You're not in Vegas and you're not in L.A., you are in the most magnificent city in the world. It's the city of Gershwin and Cole Porter. Damon Runyon and Fiorella Laguardia. Surprise her, but make her feel comfortable. Make it different, but make her feel at home. But mostly, make it someplace that you like. Where is that restaurant? I'll let you know when I find it. I think this scene is also very fitting that it's... Jamie went to Dan for girl advice, which is... <laughs> Makes sense because they he's the cool one Dan's and cool he's single, one. yeah. And I like that it also shows just how nerdy Jeremy is that he wrote software to analyze restaurants. He basically invented Yelp without <laughs> without Yelp being there to try and figure out the right restaurant to take uh, Natalie to. But I feel like if Jeremy lived in like 2006, he'd be a much richer man because yeah. because he's clearly so far advanced beyond just being a researcher or an analyst or an associate producer at a at a sports show. I feel like if this were like 10 years later, he'd be making way more money and would not be working at CSC. Probably not. He, he, his description of all of it, it's a little slower than I'd like it. He can't do this. But he's, L7 software he, and stuff like that. This is what he's been doing as he's been awake all this time, freaking out about hacking into, into Natalie's email and writing programs to figure out what restaurant to take her to. I think the advice, though, is, is pretty sound. Oh, it's great. I think, it, I think it's really good advice. Restaurants really don't impress women. Although I... I Immediately, I thought of a. I, 
I went out with a stand-up comic, and I was really into her because she was really, you know, she was funny, and she was, you know, great to talk to and great to, to sit down and have dinner with. And, while, you know, I would asked her out. Uh, I was like, do you want to go to dinner one night? And she said, oh, yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. And the night before we were going to get, going out, she goes, hey, do you mind if I pick a spot? I said, no, absolutely. And she picked out, like, this really fancy French restaurant. It's called Le Bouchon, I've which been, I think you've been, right? I have. It's, and it's great. The food there is fantastic. But I, we went out. We, I thought we had a, a pretty decent date. I was really in, like, like entertained by her. I was really inquisitive. How, do you, you know, how did you get into comedy? Like the, and she, and she, I thought she was pretty entertaining. I didn't really want to talk much about me because I don't think she was into sports, which is fine. Like, I don't mind if you're – I like other stuff. But, you know, I thought we had a good night. We, had, we kissed at the end of the night. You know, she's like, you know, I thought we were going to try to go out again. I, we never talked ever again after that. Like, I had reached out. She never got back to me. Oh, man. So I'm pretty sure she just wanted to go oh, man. to Le Bouchon and wanted somebody to take her to a fancy French restaurant. That's rough. And and she got a dinner out of me, and that's about it. Oh, boy. that reminded, Did you watch uh, Aziz Ansari's Netflix show, Master oh, of yeah, None? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's an episode where he keeps going on, on dates... Like online, you meet them on Match.com, and the girl's like ordering food to go. She's yeah, just exactly. Going out of food. That's cruel. That's like cold stuff, right there. They should, it's, they sh- you, sh- you didn't really dress up for this. It's like, no, it's okay. And I'm gonna take this to go. She's texting the whole time. I can't believe that. The, the, I want to find her and and confront her. This I girl. was a little bit disappointed. I'm like, man, I thought I thought we had a good day. Again, we had a really like kind of. I thought it was a pretty. It was it was a passionate good night kiss. I would say. And uh, I thought we were gonna go out again, and it never came to fruition. I think she was just in it for the dinner. I am, I am, I'm heartbroken. <laughs> I'm very. That's that listen. Gets me. If nothing else, I was happy to go to a restaurant like that because the food was really, really good. There you go. Silver lining, right? Silver there. lining, right there. The food was delicious. We have a scene change where right before showtime, Dana is walking Gordon in. Uh, just wants to say hello to the guy sitting at the desk, and he's got a couple of funny lines there. It's like a real television show here, and. Casey responds with his... We got we got cameras and everything. That reminds me a lot of uh, one of my favorite lines from Major League. What team do you play for, Jake? The Indians. Here in Cleveland? Mm-hmm. I didn't know they still had a team. Yeah, we got uniforms and everything. It's really great. <laughs> uh, so Gordon says, hey, by the way, I'm totally on your side with this Rostinkowski thing, which gets Casey, Casey kind of fired up. Because Casey, when Gordon says hello to him, like... He's, he's, he's way of, more dismissive yeah, this time. Oh, yeah, he's like, oh, hey, Gordon, what's going on? But then you get him going on Rostinkowski, and he's he's fired up. But what happens here? Rostinkowski made a bad call on fourth down. Of course you know you're going to give it to such and such and run it up the middle. Gordon starts throwing out, like, oh, you would do this, you would do that. And every and, one of them. And Casey keeps kind of justifying why you why you probably wouldn't do that. Because, well, you know, there's a really good defender. Or they've got eight in the box or whatever that is. They haven't is. established the running game, so you can't run the play action because they won't bite. And all this stuff. Casey knows what's going on. And then uh, Gordon hits him with, well, what play would you call? And we got a great moment from Casey here where he kind of comes to realize, ah, I am being a jerk. The thing is, I haven't watched film all week. I haven't seen scouting reports. I don't have an offensive coordinator talking to my ear. I don't have 80,000 fans screaming in my face. So it's easy for me. I don't have 10 million people watching at home on TV, including a pack of rabid alumni. I've had three days to think about it. He had seven seconds. So it's a lot easier for me to make that decision than it was for him. But since you asked me what play I've called, I'll tell you. Now that I think about it, I have no idea. I wrote down the it's the the same mindset I try to keep when I'm broadcasting a game. The things that Casey says about 
you know, the, the crowd and the fans are all on you and, and you've got an offensive coordinator in your ear and you've only got seven seconds to try to come up with the right play and make the right decision and, and all that stuff. And I haven't spent the week watching tape. And that's how I feel going into the booth. Like, I prepare really hard for these games. Maybe, I wouldn't say just as hard because I don't know exactly what goes into every moment of preparation for a coach. But we prep really hard, uh, for especially for football games because there's so much going on. But at the same time, we we got to give benefit of the doubt to the people who are making these decisions. These are, these are tough things to do that, that a lot of these guys are trying to do at a, at a lightning quick rate. Oh yeah. So we're trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. And that's a mindset I try to keep. I, I don't let, I don't want to be the guy who just rips on a coach for a bad decision. If I feel confident in saying that wasn't the right decision there or, or that really didn't work out. And if they had this opportunity to do something else, probably should have done that. But I try to remember that these guys are making decisions in a in a split second absolutely i think that's something many many people completely forget and one of the reasons i cannot listen to like sports talk radio after one of these things happen because all you get are the monday morning quarterbacks hindsight's a wonderful thing yeah just like oh how are you stupid and it actually comes up later on sports night i can't remember which episode specifically where they have a caller on the show and casey asks or dan asks him oh so did you play a lot of college football did you play professional football like okay like you have no nothing yeah, to say yeah, about exactly, this. exactly, and it's it really does drive you, me a little bit crazy when you hear people like, "Oh, I'm the expert. I've got no experience in doing this. I haven't prepared for the whole week for this game." Exactly, and it's it's nice to see Casey kind of realize, "All right, I've had four days to think about it. He had seven seconds. Obviously, you know what, what can he say? I I wouldn't know what to call." Uh, Gordon then gets led off to the green room by Kim, and Casey stands up and gets very proud and says, "We're blowing off the Rostenkowski thing." So, Casey's, Casey's pretty proud of himself, regardless of the scenario throughout yes. this episode. He's, Casey's, as the, kid, as the kids would say today, feeling himself a he's, little bit. He's proud that he's sticking to it, and then he's proud that <laughs> he's been the right he's decision. It, yeah. He's like, look at me, I am Casey. It's all good. <laughs> we have a scene change then into the middle of the show. We get a Monica Seles reference, which I really enjoyed. Real right sport, there. yeah, it's real sports stuff right there. And uh, we lead into a you-should-know fact. Just something to kind of wrap up the show with here. And... For some reason, Dan leads into talking about Tony Orlando, the Italian songster. You should know that Tony Orlando is not Italian. And if you guessed that the man was of Latin descent, you'd be incorrect as well. Mr. Tony Orlando hails from Greece. We thought you should know that. The show ends. It's very confusing for a moment. And we find out as they're putting more parkas on, that was supposed to be Troy Aitman. Troy Aitman. There was nothing on the teleprompter about that section. And... People who run teleprompters, oftentimes they're, they're interns or production assistants, but tremendously important job. You have to write out everything that is going to be on the teleprompter. You have to be able to transfer it. Now, it's a lot easier today because you're typing everything out on computers and you can just transfer it automatically or whatever. But back then, you often see it throughout the shows and episodes of Sports Night, Dan and Casey are like, they have a notepad and a pencil yeah. and they're writing out exactly what they're going to say. And that's often how it was done in the 90s. And then you'd give it to like a PA or an intern and they would have to like transcribe everything for the teleprompter. So you have to put all these sections in. And the only other thing I wrote down about this was Tony Orlando, Greek slash Puerto Rican. There you go. Turns out he actually, because he, <laughs> he, he was half right. Because he was half right. Because he is, he definitely is Greek. He's not of Latin descent. But he's not of he's Latin not, descent. He's not Puerto Italian. Rican. Yeah, exactly. So an interesting, a credit to Dan's professionalism, I guess, for not being like, ah, uh, for 15 seconds. But, I mean, you, get, you do give him credit for that. The one thing I, I was impressed by, and if you put yourself in this actual situation now, credit to whoever's, whoever's the technical director, because the graphic... You should know! 
still shows up on time where it normally would, even though there's nothing on the teleprompter. That thing still shows up on time. So well-oiled machine, despite Natalie kind of dropping the ball on this, as we find out. Rest of the team still a well-oiled machine. <laughs> as they are trying to figure out where did Tony Orlando come from, Dana comes in and kind of whispering, Natalie was supposed to put it up. She she dropped the ball. Don't make a big deal out of it. Stop it. And they kind of chuckle about it. And Natalie comes running in saying, you're still mic'd. I can hear, I can everything, hear everything you're, everything saying. you're saying. And she gets mad and, and really begs them, treat me like normal. If I screw up, treat me like I'm important and my screw up affected things. Don't just baby me and stop like pitying me right here. Uh, they get a little bit of a back and forth thing and it says, let us help you with, you know, that's the gift of letting somebody else help you. That's a big thing. And she just really storms out. She throws a tape again. A lot of tape throwing by Natalie. So many, so many tapes. Like there's a lot of dented VHSs and yes. a lot of, a lot of dented betas going on right now. So she storms out. They all kind of look at each other and are going to chase her. And we get a scene change into the final few minutes here where there's Jeremy passed out on the floor. This nice little picnic he's made, a couple of candles, a couple of glasses of wine, a couple of white Chinese food takeout boxes, and he's just collapsed. And you get Dan saying, he found it. He found it. He the, found the, place, the, restaurant. The, the restaurant, the place that you like, he, it was just really, really sweet. This is, this is one of the, the sweet moments of the first handful of episodes of the series it's just really cute it, that's all that's that's the best way i can describe it i think it's, Definitely. it's cute it's a nice kind of quiet conversation between the two of them natalie says you did you do this for me were you is this some sort of some sort of charity and he says no i just like you i wanted to do something i think it's a nice sort of official beginning to the natalie and jeremy relationship sure that's been since episode one i've got feelings i'm thinking this and this of course. I, i'm kind of attracted to him he's obviously attracted to her and Natalie kind of sits down and puts a pillow on her lap and says, you know, lay down, get some sleep. And so she does. This, um, uh, this, this, this would be very highly inappropriate is what I wrote down for this because, listen, I think it's, it's as sweet and uh, genuinely touching of a moment as this is. Where's yeah. HR? Doesn't belong in the workplace. Where's, it, where's HR? Because, listen, I don't think Data is going to report anything. I don't think Casey's going to report anything or, or Dan, but... Somebody's got to be looming back there who's like, guys, we really shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> we get most of the, the principal characters just standing watching and Tina's like, don't you guys have somewhere to be? They're like, no, not really. Yeah. <laughs> just watching them. But then later on, like as the scene sort of starts to fade out, there's just like random extras walking by, totally ignoring the fact that there's this like romantic thing going on. Yeah, I mean, so, like, yeah, it's, this, it doesn't, this, this, this should be reported very quickly. It doesn't belong <laughs> there. The next morning would definitely begin with, uh, you guys are, you guys have to go can see you guys, the standards can of you guys come, in, come to the office for a second? We uh, have a nice little musical cue at the end here, too. It's a nice little moment where uh, Natalie kind of reaches over and grabs a wine glass and just lets, lets Jeremy sleep. Uh, and again, the second episode in a row where the title card comes up at the end, yeah. which is a little bizarre. That's interesting, yeah. I like, I like that it's kind of a nice stamp like this one's over. And it's a nice, more lighthearted episode after that kind of just roller coaster last week. Uh, more laugh track, as we said, but it's a nice kind of conclusion to the Mary Pat Shelby, Natalie... Uh, Christian Patrick storyline. We get some progression in terms of some relationships. We've got a lot of things happening and really getting the snowball rolling downhill a little bit um, for later episodes as we've got the whole... Well, we know Gordon's still going yep. strong. We know Casey is officially jealous. We've got a brand new relationship with Natalie and Jeremy. It's just like really setting the scene for, hey, what's going to be coming here? We're only six episodes deep. We've got another like 15 to go for this for this season. Yeah, it's. It, I, I was really happy with uh, how they wrapped this thing up I, I, it was a really somber tone in uh the previous episode so it's a nice bounce back 
I think it sets up another kind of arc nicely. We've kind of hit the end of the arc here, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the theme is going to come up if I had to predict. Like, if I didn't know what was coming up in, in the series, I would predict we're going to have budget issues and, and the network trying to be uh, better in terms of ratings. I'm sure that's going to continue on throughout the entirety. But this this is kind of a nice, natural end to the first half dozen episodes. Now, you can almost go anywhere with this, with, uh, with, with, with what... Jeremy and Natalie now have the Dana and Gordon thing is obviously still going and the rating stuff, but you can go anywhere you want to now. And there, I'm sure the coming episodes, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you could have some really good standalones coming up. Absolutely. As I'm looking ahead, uh, without getting too much into them, we have a nice balance of like a couple really funny episodes, a couple really heartfelt episodes. It kind of bounces back and forth. Yeah. Um, which is nice. We found, I think at this point we have seen all the different kind of, uh, atmospheres we're going to feel. We've gotten the serious, we've gotten the funny, we've gotten the mixture of both. We've had a lot of heavy laugh track, we've had a lot of uh, more quick, sharp, walk and talk kind of stuff. So we've really felt everything at this point. Now we kind of just get to let let ourselves sit back and see what's going to what's gonna come every episode. Next week we'll be back. We'll dive into episode 7, Dear Louise, where we see the first iteration of this exposition style, this narrative style of writing a letter. Yes. And it's something that will pop up at various times in a couple of other episodes in Aaron Sorkin shows. But Dear Louise is the first time we actually get to see it on screen with Jeremy writing to his sister. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, of course, you can stay tuned as to when the next episode comes out by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. You can visit our website at thosestoriespod.weebly.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Adam Amin or at SJCIM. You can follow us on Instagram at Those Stories Pod as well. And of course, one more time, our website, thosestoriespod.weebly.com. So that wraps it up for this week. We will see you uh, next time. Thanks for listening to Those Stories Plus.